I want you to think about the last time you know you were speeding and then saw red and blue lights in your rearview mirror. What did you pray for in that moment? You prayed for mercy. That's what you prayed for, right? You were like, oh, dear God, let these not be for me, right? Like, like let them be for somebody else. Like, go around in Jesus' name. Like, come on. Like, not, not, not for me, right? Nobody in that moment prays for judgment, right? When you know you were speeding and you see the red and blue lights, you're not like, well, thank God they caught me, Right? Thank you, Lord, for this lesson that I should obey the laws of the land, Lord. I appreciate judgment. No, we all want mercy, which is we don't want what we deserve, a ticket. Yet, now think about this scenario. When was the last time, think about how you felt, the last time somebody came speeding up behind you? And you notice in the rearview mirror, they were coming fast, they're coming close, and then you finally get over, they go speeding by, weaving in and out of traffic. What did you pray for them? Mercy or judgment, right? When they went speeding by, you were like, ooh, I hope a cop's up around the corner, that they get what they deserve, right? Isn't it so easy for us to want mercy for ourselves? but what judgment for other people? That's actually how the story of Jonah ends. We've been in this little series for four weeks looking at this story in the Old Testament, which is the first half of the Bible that tells the story of kind of our Genesis creation, tells the story of the nation of Israel and and, and that history. And there's this little book in there, if you're new to the Bible, you're just joining us the last four weeks, uh, that is titled Jonah. And it's just four chapters. You can read it all in less than 10 minutes. Uh, and, it, and it tells the story of a prophet who ran from God. And the story ends, honestly, as you're going to see today, chapter four, it ends kind of weird. It's kind of an awkward ending. It's not how you and I would write endings to stories. But there are some important lessons in there that I want us to see. But just in case you're just joining us, I don't think you're going to understand chapter four if you don't understand the first three. So let me give you a quick review in case this is your first week here of uh, who Jonah is and how did we get to this moment. Uh, So here's kind of a review. The story of Jonah starts when God calls Jonah. So this is just a review. God calls Jonah and invites him. He's a prophet. God would speak to a prophet and then they would go speak to people on behalf of God. And so he's a Hebrew, a Jewish prophet. And God says, hey, I want you to go to the city of Nineveh. It's up in the north. It's the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. And I want you to go to them and I want you to tell them that I'm tired of their wickedness and violence. And if they don't change, if they don't turn, it's going to be the end. And so they need to change. And Jonah's like, yeah, I really don't want to go tell those people that. And so Jonah runs. He actually runs in the opposite direction. He boards a ship headed across the Mediterranean for Spain. But this is the good news of Jonah and it's good news for us. God doesn't just let him run, God pursues him. God tries to stop Jonah from going the wrong way, doing the wrong thing. And isn't it true that you and I often run from God? That we often, like Jonah, we run, we resist. We run from the creator of life thinking we can plan a better life ourselves. And God in his mercy and grace, just like he did Jonah, he pursues us. And the way he pursued Jonah was with a storm to try to stop him. The storm wasn't punishment, the storm was a rescue mission. And finally, Jonah comes to his senses and realizes, man, I'm the one that's causing the storm and all these people on the ship are in danger because of me. And finally, Jonah surrenders. 
He surrenders to God. He's like, all right, guys. And he tells everybody on the ship, this is my fault. I'm the one running from God. God's trying to stop me from running. And then he says something really weird. He says, if you throw me over the ship, the storm will stop and you'll all be saved. And these guys thought, well, let's see if that works. And so they threw him over the ship. And sure enough, the Bible says in chapter one that when he hits the water, the storm stops. But then it ends really crazy. This is like a crazy part of the story. That God sends a great fish to swallow Jonah. And that's how chapter one ends. Like it's just, it's just crazy. Like this is how the story ends. Well then in chapter two, Jonah prays. Inside that fish, Jonah prays this incredible prayer where he realizes, man, God, forgive me for running. And then he says, God, I know you're a God of mercy. Have mercy on me. And then that fish transports him across the Mediterranean and spits him up onto the land of the Assyrian Empire. Like, in other words, God's like, I'm giving you a second chance. And this time, chapter three, Jonah obeys. He obeys God when God says, I want you to go to Nineveh. He gets a second chance. And he goes to Nineveh, and then he preaches. He tells everybody in this great city that if you don't turn to God, like, it's going to go really bad for you. God's, like, tired of your wickedness and your violence and all these things. And so he, he preaches, and to Jonah's both amazement and dismay, you're going to see in a second, like, everybody in Nineveh, they repent. Nineveh repents. They turn to God, they turn from their wickedness, and then the, the story ended last week where God relents. In other words, God says, you know what? Because you all have listened, because you've turned from your wickedness, like I'm not going to destroy your city. Now, this is where it gets weird. You would think that if there is a chapter four, it would end with, and they lived happily ever after, right? Like, like this would be like, you know, hip, hip, hooray, everything worked out great. But that's not how the story of Jonah ends. It actually ends really weird. Um, and the reason I like this part of the story is here's why. You're going to see that Jonah has a really hard time with God giving the people of Nineveh mercy. He liked mercy for himself, but he had a hard time when other people that he didn't like got mercy. In fact, here's how chapter four starts. So now let's read Jonah chapter four. It's just a couple of verses and then we're going to go, hey, what can we learn from it? So here we go. Jonah four. Jonah was really upset and angry. Told you it's weird, right? Everybody just turned to God and he's upset and angry. So he prayed, oh Lord, I knew from the very beginning that you wouldn't destroy Nineveh. That's why I left my own country and headed for Spain because you are kind and a merciful God and you are patient and you always show love and you don't like to punish anyone. Now let me die, I'd be better off dead. <laughs> Is that like the craziest pity party ever? All these people just turned to God, and he's like, I wish I were dead. Right? Like, like, this is unbelievable. And the Lord replied, what right do you have? Jonah, like, what right do you have to be angry? Jonah then left through the east gate. Like, he left the city of Nineveh, made a shelter to protect himself from the sun. He sat under the shelter waiting to see what would happen to Nineveh. In other words, how messed up is this guy? He went out there and went, maybe God will change his mind again. Maybe I'll get to sit out here and watch the whole city destroyed, right? Like this dark stuff is coming back up in his heart. And so the Lord, now this is, the story gets really weird here. I'm going to explain what in the world is happening a little bit later in the message. But look at this. Then the Lord made a vine grow to shade Jonah's head and protect him from the sun. 
Jonah was very happy to have the vine. But early, early the next morning, the Lord sent a worm to chew on the vine. And the vine dried up. During the day, the Lord sent scorching wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head, making him feel faint. Jonah was ready to die, and he shouted, I wish I were dead. I'm sure it didn't sound like I just made it sound, but he did shout, I wish I were dead. But the Lord asked, Jonah, do you have the right to be angry about the vine? Yes, I do, he answered. I'm angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you are concerned about a vine that you didn't plan or take care of, a vine that grew up one night and died the next. And in the city of Nineveh, there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell right from wrong. And many cattle are there also. Don't you think I should be concerned about that big city? The end. That's a weird ending, isn't it? It feels like it's undone, right? If I was writing the story, I would write, you know, and then they all lived happily ever after and the credits would roll. Or better yet, I think the end of the story of Jonah, because it's talking about, you know, he was against the Assyrian empire and then he went and now they're all friends. I think it should end like the very first Shrek where everybody in the kingdom, it's like a song and dance medley to I'm a believer, right? Isn't that how this story should end? Everybody now believes in God. Everybody gets along. It's this amazing, like, yes, everybody's friends and the story ends. But that's not how this story ends. Why? Well, here's, here's why. And here's why I think it's good news for us. It's because it shows that Jonah is still a work in progress. That even though Jonah was a prophet, even though Jonah ran and God pursued him and then Jonah obeyed again, Jonah had this amazing experience with God inside of that fish. And even after having an amazing experience with God, and even after seeing God use him in amazing ways, where an entire city turns from their wickedness to God, and then moments later, Jonah has some real issues. Why? Because there was still some stuff in his heart that he needed to work out. And God wasn't finished with him yet. See, the, the last part of Jonah tells us that Jonah is a work in progress. And guess what? So am I. And so are you. And it shows us that God doesn't give up on us. But what was Jonah's real problem with Nineveh? What was his problem? If you're taking notes today, write this down. This was really Jonah's problem. Jonah wanted God's grace for himself, but not for them. He wanted God's grace for himself, but not for them. Now, why did Jonah hate the people in Nineveh? Like, what, what is that really all about? Well, a little bit of history here. The reason he had a hard time with the people of Nineveh and the reason he wanted judgment for them was because in a not-so-long-ago past, the people of Nineveh and the Assyrian Empire had actually conquered his people, the nation of Israel, and they had made them a captive state. If you were a captive state, that meant the Assyrian Empire, they let you kind of live as normal, but it meant that they could come in and take whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted. So you could plant and harvest all of your grain and go, we have enough food for the winter. And then the Syrians come in and go, yeah, we're going to take all your food and all your grain and you can starve. They could come in and take your food. They could take your cattle. They could take your livestock. They could take your children. They could take your wife. They could take you and make you a slave because you're a captive state. And so you got to understand that Jonah has some baggage in his heart because of the humiliation and that really the, the brutalization of his people at the hands of the Assyrians, the people of Nineveh. And at the end of the story, guess what? That bitterness and resentment and anger and hatred in his heart, guess what? It's coming up out of his heart again. 
That's what we see here. He liked God's grace for him. When he ran, when he was doing wrong, he was really grateful for God's grace. But he didn't want them to receive God's grace. He wanted them to receive judgment. You see, we're not that different from Jonah, I don't think. Isn't it easy for us to see the problems in others yet ignore them in us? Isn't it easy for us to to go, you know, judge them but want mercy for us? Here's an example. When they do it, it's called gossip. When we do it, we're just sharing a prayer request. We just, we're just sharing a general concern, right? When they do it, it's called pride. Ugh, look how prideful they are. When we do it, we're just confident, right? When they do it, it's rude. When we do it, we're just being honest, right? It's so easy for us to dismiss our own issues and focus on others, This was the core issue for Jonah, and this is often ours too. You see, Jonah's problem and ours, you can write this down if you're taking notes, really our core problem is love. Jonah's problem and our problem is it's really love. In our culture, we love to say we're a culture of inclusion, and man, you know, we just, we love everybody. No, we don't. We don't really love inclusion in our culture. We only like to include people who we want included. We only like inclusion when it's including people who think like us, vote like us, believe like us, and see the world like us. Because if they don't think like us, or believe like us, or see the world like us, or vote like us, we don't want them included. We want them canceled, right? Because their ideas, like, they make me feel unsafe. And so we really don't like inclusion. You know what we like in our society? Sadly, we like division. Think about what our news cycle does. What does it do? It just constantly stokes fear and division. This is what we do in our society. We create us versus them. We create those people over there. We do this all the time, right? It's conservative versus liberal. It is Democrat versus Republican. It's LGBTQ versus evangelical. It's CrossFit people versus normal people right? It's country music lovers versus those that have taste. It's all these different (laughs) things. We create those people. We are great in our culture, sadly, at creating us versus them. And here's why this is so bad. And we got to be so careful. Because every time we put somebody into those people, every time we create an us versus them, Here's what it does. We have actually taken the bait of Satan. We we are getting sucked into the plan of the enemy of our soul. You see, in John 10.10, not on your outline, Jesus said the thief, the enemy of our soul, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. What Satan wants to do is to divide. He wants to destroy. He wants you to create us and them. He wants you to look at them not as a human being created by God, but as those people. Why? Because whenever we put people in categories and we create an us versus them or a those or a them, here's what it does. It makes it easy for us to to dehumanize somebody and no longer are they a human being, but we can dehumanize them so we don't have to love them. We can dehumanize them so we can ignore them. So we can even hate them. Or like Jonah, this is how sick Jonah's heart was, we could even wish that God would kill them. 
That's where Jonah got to. Man, may God help us. So, this was the sickness that infected Jonah's heart. Right? And it can often infect ours too. So what was God's solution? What did God do to help Jonah and what can God do to help us? When you and I have those moments where the stuff that's really in our down deep starts to come out, what does God do? This is the good news. The good news is when we lack love, God will keep showing us grace and teaching us truth. This is what we see he did for Jonah. This is the whole vine and worm thing. When we first read it, you probably were like me. When I first read that, I was like, what in the world is going on here? A vine and a worm? And maybe you feel like that when you open the Bible. You feel like you, you tried to read the Bible once and you're like, dear Lord, vines and worms and fish and, you know, like, okay, let's set that down. Like, well, this week, the good news is there's people way smarter than me that have written about this. And so I went and studied what those people smarter than me wrote about and said, what in the world is this old vine and worm thing? And here's the point. God is trying to show Jonah grace and teach him truth using a visual illustration. God's basically going, Jonah, you got some issues in your heart, but guess what? I'm not going to leave you. The first time Jonah ran, God used a big storm and he used a great fish. The second time Jonah's heart ran and he went outside the city, God used a little plant and a little worm. Why? Because God will use anything and everything to show us his grace and teach us his truth. God will literally use all of creation to show you his grace and teach his truth. This is what he did for Jonah. You see, Nineveh is in the Middle East. It's in modern-day Iraq, and we're a military community. Chances are there's many of you that served in one of the Iraq wars, and you've been there, and here's what you know if you've been in the desert region. It is hot. And so here is Jonah, and he goes out to sit outside the city, and it's hot. And so God, in his love and in his mercy, doesn't say, Jonah, I'm just going to leave you out there in the scorching sun to die. You've, you know, I've given you a second chance. I'm not giving you a third. No, what does God do? He pursues him with his love, with his grace, with his mercy. And he wants to teach him truth. And so he uses this visual aid where all of a sudden this, this vine grows and Jonah has shade and he's happy about it. And then God sends a worm and it eats, the, you know, kind of the, the root. And all of a sudden the vine dies and now Jonah's mad again. And here's the point God is teaching him. Did you catch it at the end of the story? What God says to Jonah and how the whole story ends. He says, Jonah, how sad is it that you pity the death of a plant, but you want the death of people? That's the lesson God's teaching. Jonah, how messed up are you that you have compassion for a plant that you didn't do anything to cause it to grow? I did that. And yet you care more about a plant than you care about 120,000 people. And then really written in like Hebrew satire. Did you remember? It sounded weird when we first read it where God says, Jonah, there's 120,000 people and cattle. Didn't that didn't, like, why did God say that? Because in other words, God's literally making fun of Jonah here. He's going, Jonah, if you don't care about the people, do you at least care about the animals? <laughs> That's literally what's happening here. He's like, you want me to destroy the city? Like, if you don't care about the people, do you at least care about the animals? He's putting Jonah's sin in front of his face. He's going, do you see how ridiculous you are? That you have compassion for a plant, but you don't think I should have compassion for people? The very people that I created. You see, through that whole vine and worm thing, God is showing grace 
and he's teaching truth. And God does the same thing for you and I. He pursues us with his grace. He exposes the sin in our heart. And then he teaches us truth. So how do we find compassion for them? Real quick here as we end, I want to give you just a few ways that you can have compassion for them, for those people. Because we all have a them and a those people. Don't sit here today and say, no, I don't. I just, I love everyone. Right? Yeah, you love everyone generally, but how about those people that hurt you? That's hard, right? Like it's easy to say I love generally. It's hard when it's the person or those people that hurt you. Right? It's hard when it's those people you disagree with. It's hard when it's those people that see the world totally different than you. And, and, and again, hear me today. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be able to have healthy debate, and I'm not saying that somebody you know, else's view and your view, like, like healthy debate, we should be able to do that, and sadly, we've gotten to a place in our country where it doesn't seem like we can. But what I am saying today is that to make sure in your heart is not putting people in categories that allow you to dehumanize them that allow you to think less of them. We all have those people. For some of us, it was created by our parents. So if you don't want to blame yourself, just blame them today, right? Because the way they talked about people, the things that they said, you grew up with a bias. Others of you, you have a those people because of certain experiences you've had in your life. Maybe negatively, maybe hurtful. And so because of that, you put all people of this kind in a category. Others of us, let's just be honest, we are products of our culture and the world we live in. And some of us have bought into the us and them in our world. And we've lumped people into categories and we've dehumanized them and and we've thought less of them. And so what do we do? How do we have compassion for them? Real fast, I want to give you four ways we can do it. Number one, realize they or them or those people are made in the image of God. You see, what we believe in what scripture teaches is that every human being was made by God, for God, and in the image of God. What that means is every human being is given intrinsic value, not by you, but by God. And therefore, it means you are not better than anyone else or more important than everyone else. Why? Because you and everyone else is made in the image of God. And so because of that, here's what we know. All racism and bigotry and prejudice and sexism, it's sin. Why? Because it dehumanizes and marginalizes and it says that they are less than them or you. And so may God help us see all people the way he does. So even those people who like the people of Nineveh, they were doing wrong, right? It wasn't that what they were doing is good. It wasn't that the way they understood was good. God didn't condone their sin, right? But he was basically saying, Jonah, I've created all people. I love all people, even them, even the most wicked, even the most violent, even the people that you think don't deserve my mercy. May we love all people the way God does. Secondly, remember people are greater than things. People are greater than things. That's the whole point of that whole little vine thing. God is going, Jonah, you care about a plant more than you care about people. And we can look at Jonah and go, oh, how foolish is he, right? How ridiculous is he? Yet let's ask ourselves, how often do we care more about being right than being loving? How often do we care more about making our point than building a bridge? Care about people more than things. Three, remind yourself you run too. Jonah's problem with Nineveh was their sin. It was their violence, their wickedness. 
His problem was what they had done to his people. And God reminds Jonah in the end, Jonah, these people don't even know right from wrong. What is God saying? He's saying, Jonah, they didn't grow up like you. They didn't, they didn't grow up in the nation of Israel centered around God's word and God's law and God's truth. They, they didn't have any understanding of this is the way God wants his people to live. So Jonah, don't, don't you know, like before you judge them, let me remind you, you ran too. Right? You couldn't follow my law either if not for the grace and mercy. And so here's, here's the thing. When you look at those people or them, ask yourself this. Where would you be without God's mercy and grace in your life? What kind of person would you be if you would have grown up like them? What kind of person would you be if you hadn't grown up with the parents or the opportunities or the advantages that you had? The truth is those people usually aren't really that different than you. And then here's the last one. Rejoice in a God who pursues everyone. Rejoice in a God that, who, that pursues everyone. The whole story of Jonah is about a God who doesn't give up on anyone, who offers his mercy and grace to everyone. God pursued Jonah when he ran time and time again. God pursued the people of Nineveh in their wickedness. And God pursues you. God will use anything and everything to show you his grace and teach you his truth. I want to introduce you to Lily, who is a member of our church here in Chula Vista. And she has experienced God pursuing her with his love, with his grace, and ultimately pursuing her through this community. Watch her story. So growing up, I actually really enjoyed going to church. Um, it was something I looked forward to doing, and I continue to do through my teenage years. However, as a teenager, I was pregnant at one point, and I heard the priest speaking about premarital sex, and I just felt this guilt, like I didn't belong in church. I felt like this is not for me, this is not my place, and it really turned me away from any kind of relationship with God for several years. My whole entire life, I've struggled with anxiety and depression, and that's something even as an adult I always struggled with. Um, five years ago, when my youngest was born, my anxiety really just skyrocketed. It's, I was scared to even leave the house for the few months after he was born. During that time, my sister, who posted a picture of a mom's group that was meeting here on uh, bi-weekly, and I just felt like I needed to be part of it. I needed something to get me out of the house. Um, I needed some friends in the area. And so I, I reached out to her and asked her, how do I become part of this group? And I started attending regularly. I was a little hesitant to join the group because of my relationship or lack of relationship with God and Jesus at the time. So one of the questions I had for my sister was, is this okay, can I be part of this group? Um, I just need the community that I think I can get from it. She, she said, go ahead, come join. And so I went, I found myself really respecting, really building bonds and relationships with these women who had relationships with, with Christ themselves. And seeing their journeys, hearing about their stories, little by little I felt like my wall with Jesus started to come down. And I no longer had this like, no, 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 I'm not interested in religion too. You know what, yeah, I'll, I'll go to church on Sunday, let me check it out. Something that for 20 years I did not even want to hear about. So one of the women that I met through this mom's group actually became a very good friend of mine and she invited me to start meeting with her on Saturdays to kind of start our own little joy, uh, growth group. I actually purchased my first Bible ever. I started listening to Bible apps. I started um, 
read a scripture on my own. I met another mom. It was an acquaintance, but I was always drawn to. So when her growth group opened up um, the next season, I actually reached out. I'm like, hey, do you mind if I join your group? Um, this was February 2020, right before the world shut down. So I made it to another, I made it to one of the meetings. I Something in that, that meeting, that, that particular session, I cried. It was so freeing, like I had really found my place. Um, I felt safe. I felt like I could be vulnerable and I could be open, which is something that I have never had been able to do in my entire life. The leader at that point needed some help with running the Zoom meetings, and that was something that um, I felt like I was able to help her out. So by default, I kind of became her co-leader. When the next series launched Rooted, my co-leader and I were really excited because this is something that was really about deepening your faith, your own personal journey with Jesus and with God. We were asked to share our testimony as leaders. So I took the time to reflect back, and thinking back on my journey, that's when it really became obvious. God's been with me this entire time. That afternoon, I remember, I was on my way to pick up my son listening to worship music, and I just had this, like, oh, I'm ready to be baptized, something I never thought I was gonna do. At that point, I made the decision, I'm ready, I'm doing this, and I am fully in. Just knowing, like, hey, I finally feel like I have community, I feel like I'm on the right path, and I feel like, again, everything's gonna be okay. God's got this. This Jonah series actually really resonates with me because knowing that God was pursuing Jonah and just showing him, like, you need to go down this path, continue down this path, even when Jonah wasn't sure. I know that God was pursuing me during that season, that his, he had a plan the entire time, and part of that plan included those struggles that I went through, but led me to having a relationship with him. Just knowing that God has so much grace and so much love for us, no matter what we are going through, no matter what we've done, no matter where we've been, He is there and He is not going to turn His back on you, has just made me feel like I can relate to Jonah's story. I think a lot of times we wait for that perfect opportunity where uh, I'm in the right place, I'm going to go start going to church, I'm going to start going to groups, I'm going to start meeting people. There's never going to be a perfect time, I can tell you that. I waited for so many years and it did not come up. You have to be willing to accept that things are going to be messy. Things are going to, you're going to be vulnerable. And, um, and with that, that's where the meaningful relationships really come. I so appreciate Lily sharing her journey and her story with us about how God was pursuing her, showing her his grace, teaching her his truth. And if you get one thing out of today, and if you get one thing out of the last four weeks, this story of Jonah, here's what I hope we all take away, is that God is pursuing you. He loves you. He comes to you, not with judgment, not with shame, not with a pointing finger, but he comes to you with love and compassion and mercy and grace, drawing you back again and again into his better way of living and loving, inviting you into his kingdom, the kingdom of God. I'm going to ask everybody to stand with me, if you would. Everybody in the room, everybody outside on the patio, everybody at home watching online, time to get out of bed, out of the PJs. Glad that you're a part of this today. 
Uh, we are going to uh, worship through uh, one last song, which is a great song to, I think, end the series, and especially in light of what we talked about today. Uh, but let me just give you a few kind of closing instructions, so then when the song's over, uh, we'll be able to uh, just dismiss. And uh, the first one is, if you would like prayer and communion, there's always people that are down front when we dismiss uh, that would love to pray for you individually or offer you communion, if you'd like that to be part of your worship today. Also, if you're new, I'd love to meet you out at 5 and 5 that uh, Pastor Kevin uh, talked about earlier. Uh, stop by, grab a gift. We'll tell you a couple things about the church uh, on your way out. Uh, also, next week, I hope you come back. We're starting a brand new series called You Matter. And uh, we're going to be talking about how you matter to God, how you matter here, how your gifts and your talents matter, um, how your story matters. That's a new series. Uh, that we are going to kick off next week. Uh, now, uh, just before I pray for us, uh, I want to offer a couple invitations. Um, the first one would simply be this. If you're here today and you would say, you know what, James, the story of Jonah, man, it resonates with me because you would just be willing to admit, you know what, I've been running from God. I've been thinking that I could find a better life away from the creator of life. And today you're going, you know what, I want to stop running and uh, man, I, I, I want to come, for some of you, it would be coming back to God. For others of you, it might be saying yes to a relationship with Jesus for the first time. And if that's you, I just want to include you in this closing prayer. I'm going to ask everybody, if you would, just bow your head, close your eyes, just to create a sense of privacy for people here today. And if you're here and you would say, you know what, James, that's me. Like I've been running, but today I want to stop. I want to say yes to Christ. I want to come back to God uh, or I want to follow for the first time. If that's you and you're here, I just want to include you in my closing prayer. Would you just raise your hand up or look up at me and go, you know what, that's me. I want to, like, I'm, I'm, I'm saying yes to Christ today. I'm not running. That's awesome. Great for you. God sees that. Awesome. Way to go. God sees that and he comes to you with all of his love, all of his mercy, all of his grace today. Thank you. Second question, how many of you would say, you know what, there's still some stuff in my heart that uh, I've, created some, uh, I've created some them and some those and I want to ask God to help me look at other people with love and compassion and do that a little better. If that's you, how many of you would say, you know what, that's me. I just want God to into, into some of those places in my heart. That's awesome. God sees that. Lord, I thank you for people today that are coming to you, that are coming back to you, that are saying, God, I want to run in your direction, not in my own or not in, not in the, the way of our world or, or other things. God, I pray that they would experience your love and your grace. Lord, I pray for all of us that you would go into those deep places of our heart, that we're all still a work in progress. And Lord, I pray you do your good work in us. Make us more like you so we can love people the way you love us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we're going to worship with one last song. This is our end of the Shrek movie song. This is the I'm a Believer. It's called Good Grace. I love the way it starts. It talks about all these different people coming together, and that's what we're doing today. So let's worship, and then we'll be dismissed. Here we go.